Welcome to the Encounter Church Podcast. We believe that this message is going to bless your life, encourage you, and strengthen your walk with Jesus. Grab a notebook, a pen, and let's jump right in. Come on. Every, every guy in the room just went, <laughs> That's what we do. We get together and we eat. So we're going to do that October 21st, guys. You're going to want to be there again as you exit today, guys. We have a special gift for every guy age 18 and over as you exit the place today at the doors. We will have some of our guys around with a special gift for every one of you. Little side note, it's a Carhartt beanie. Come on. I'm sorry. I thought I was talking to some men. Carhartt beanie for every one of you guys. Come on, it's going to be awesome. Hey, guys, I want to thank you so much for being here. My name is Pastor Chris. Um, If we haven't had the opportunity to meet, man, I'd love to get to know you. Catch me after the service. Let's get to know one another just a little bit more. But I do appreciate you so much being with us today. For those watching online, we love you as well. We're delighted that you've chosen to pause the chaos of social media just for a little bit of time to hang out with us for this service. We'd love to see you in person. The invitation is open there, so any point in time that you want to swing by one of our campuses, either here in Sedalia or our Warrensburg location, we would love to see you in person for a Sunday morning service. All right, well, at this point, we're going to move into a time of giving, a time of giving back to God. In fact, for a couple moments here, I want to talk about ambitious generosity. Now, I looked up the word ambitious, and according to dictionary.com, it's defined as this, having or showing a strong desire and determination to succeed. And I started thinking about how that relates to our generosity, and I thought, man, that's how God is motivated. He's motivated with this idea of generosity. Every day, he gives you 20,000 breaths to breathe. Everybody do this. Everybody go. That's one of your 20,000 for the day. Don't waste it. But tomorrow morning, you'll wake up. He's going to give you 20,000 more. And if he wills, the next day, he'll give you 20,000 more. And day after, and day after, and day after, you'll continue to have breath in your lungs, a breath that he has ambitiously, generously given to you. We learned last week that everything we have belongs to God, that we're just the managers of it, right? Every penny, every nickel, every dime, every dollar, all the money in your savings account, and yeah, the next breath, your time, your family, your house, your job, it truly all belongs to God, and He is simply trusting us with it. Now, the Bible tells us that there are several ways that we can use what he's entrusted to us. In Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 33, it says this, sell your possessions and give it to the poor. Sell your possessions. Did you know that there's always going to be poor around us? We find that in Mark chapter 14. But I don't believe we're just talking about financially poor. There are those outside of these walls and perhaps even those that are in this room or watching online today that are spiritually destitute. They're spiritually poor. They're in need of something. As you give on a weekly basis, as you give to something larger than yourself, the Bible says in due time you will reap a harvest by what you've sown. 
And I wonder, what are you sowing into that next generation? What are you planting into that next generation? One of the saddest scriptures ever in the Bible is in the Old Testament. And it said, there came a generation that knew nothing of the things of God. Whether you realize it or not, this this idea of Christianity, a relationship with Jesus, it's not the popular thing in the world outside these walls. Right? But it's our responsibility as believers to make Jesus famous, to to make him known. I don't know about you, but I want to populate heaven. And one of the ways, one of the opportunities we have to do that is by our ambitious generosity of giving back to God, of saying, Lord, I'm going to trust you with what you have trusted me with. God, I'm going to trust you with my finances. This morning, we have numerous ways to give. You can give in the offering bucket as it comes by in a few moments. You can give online through the church app or even our website, encounterchurch.ag slash give. All that information's on the screen. If you're watching online, it's popping in front of me right now. But I would challenge you, don't give reluctantly. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. Make it your heart to ambitiously, generously give back to God. Amen? Let's pray for our offering this morning. Lord, I pray for this offering. Lord, as individually we we step out in faith and we trust you, would you take it? Lord, would you cause it to reach so much further than we could ever do on our own? Lord, as we respond to your generosity, as we give back to you, Lord, I pray that you will do so much more than we ever imagined possible. Bless this offering today as we give a legacy that will far outlast us. We love you. God, we thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Money. Is it evil? Or can it be used for good? How can I be generous and financially wise at the same time? What does the Bible say about my budget? In this series, we dive into God's word for the answers. So let's take a moment to recap our previous lesson. Because there are two main reasons why we're going to talk about finances over the next several weeks. Number one, Jesus talked about finances more than anything else in the Bible. That it'd be one of those things that we need to cover on a regular basis. Number two, because it's less about the money and more about the discipleship of what God wants us to do with what we have. Amen. Amen. Well, as the bumper video just shared, we are right in the beginning portion of a series that we're calling Money matters. Now, for some of you in the room, when I mentioned money, when I said, man, we're going to be speaking about money today, a wall just shot up. Some of you in your mind, you're thinking right now, well, that's all the church ever talks about. Truth be told, it's been about five years since we've had a sermon series on money. I don't know what church you're going to, but it ain't this one. 
But I feel it's vitally important, and we just recapped it in the bumper video, I feel it's vitally important that we talk about money because Jesus talked about it more than anything else. And if Jesus talked about it more than anything else, then shouldn't we take it seriously? I mean, Jesus talked more about money than he did about loving your neighbor. And we're really big on talking about loving your neighbor. In fact, that's one of our core values, one of our, one of our mission statements. It's love, reach, and power. Love is the very first one. It sets the foundation for all that we do. And I believe the reason God wants us to be generous in our giving is because the heart of God This love that he has, by definition, God is love. This heart of love that he has is is set in motion by generosity. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. He gave. God so loved that he gave. So now we're taking this idea, this, this heartfelt passion of love, a love for a people that are broken, a love for a people that are distant from him, a love for people that have put a, a barrier between them and God, and we're putting feet to our faith and saying, Lord, because of that love that I have for those outside of these walls, God, because of that love that I have for those that are lost without you, God, I'm going to do everything I can. And Lord, I want to reflect who you are. I'm going to demonstrate my love by my giving. Jesus talked about it more than anything else. And number two, truly, it's less about the money. And it's more about the discipleship. It's not about raising a larger offering, but it's everything to do with empowering God's people, that's you, God's people, to truly obtain the heart of God. And we just talked about that. God's heart is the heart of a giver. It helps you and I to move from this place of being inwardly focused, because truth be told, much of society today is inwardly focused. Would you agree with that? Come on, think about that for a moment. I want you to think about your last week. Were you more inwardly focused or outwardly focused? Truth be told, even as a Christian, many of us in this room, if we were honest with ourselves and we were honest with God today, we would say, yeah, I'm probably guilty from time to time of being a little bit inwardly focused. But really, it's, it's not all our fault. We're inundated with this mindset. You deserve it. Have it your way. It, it's all about you. Whatever it takes to, to rise on that social calendar or social status line, whatever it takes to raise yourself on that ladder at the job, whatever it takes to move to that next place, whoever you have to step on to get there, it's okay. Because truly, it's all about you. But if we grab a hold of the word of God, if we really begin to dissect what the Bible has to say, it's less about us and all about reaching them. So we've got to, in this process of of generosity, in this process of money matters, we have to move our mindset from being inwardly focused to stepping into this reality of being Godwardly focused. Of focusing in on God, what do you have? And Lord, how do you want to use me to reach the world outside of these walls? 
Now our text today is a very short four-verse illustration that Jesus shares in just two of the Gospels, in Mark chapter 12 and in Luke chapter 21. Again, each time only four verses are given to the story, but I find that it's so important that we take the time to really wrap ourselves around what's going on. I want to read to you from Mark chapter 12 today. Beginning verse 41, it says this, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched, how many of you like to people watch? Come on, I love to go out in public or go shopping and just spend time watching people because honestly, people are weird, <laughs> right? Not us, not us, them. I mean, we're watching, I'm like, what are you, why did you think that looked good when you walked out of the house, right? Come on. I digress. Let me move on. So Jesus was people watching. Come on, say he was people watching. Jesus was people watching. He watched at, by the collector's booth or the, the collection box in the temple and watched as a crowd dropped in their money. Many rich people came in and put in large amounts. Look at your neighbor and say, they put in large amounts. Then a poor widow woman came and dropped in just two, two small coins, two little coins. For us, it would be pennies. We're going to talk what these coins were in just a moment. But Jesus called his disciples to him and said this, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. What? I mean, they were putting in large amounts. And all she put in were two little bitty coins. How is that a larger amount than what all of these rich, wealthy people put in? They're putting in hundreds and 500. I've never even seen a $500 bill, but I'm sure it exists. I mean, they're putting these babies in here, just big old bills, just one after another, one after another. And she comes in with two little coins, puts it in, and Jesus goes, did you see that? <laughs> she put in more than every one of them. I'm sure the disciples were like, Jesus, you're mistaken. You're mistaken here because all she put in were two little coins and they've been putting in large sums of money. But he goes on to say this, for they gave a tiny part of their surplus. Come on. They gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Now, let's talk just a moment about these two small coins that this widow woman put in. They were called mites, or some translation call them lepton. They were very small coins, and quite honestly, they were the lowest valued coin. One expert states that this ancient coin was probably the lowest denomination of any coin ever struck by any nation in history. So this woman's two mites, this woman's two small coins, could not even purchase a sparrow. Literally, she could purchase three grapes. 
three grapes. That's all she could buy. That's not even a Lunchable. Yet Jesus in this moment says she's given more than everybody else. So what's the point of this story? Well, the rich gave, and according to human standard, they gave a lot. But the sacrifice wasn't there. This poor widow woman gave everything she had, the Bible says, everything she had to live on. Now, I'm going to relieve you of a little anxiety in this moment. I don't believe what Jesus was getting at. I don't think he was saying, well, after service today, I want you all to go to the nearest ATM. I want you to empty out your bank accounts and bring everything that you own, everything that you had to live on, and give it to the church. I don't think that's what he was getting at. I believe that God was saying, are you willing to trust me? Are you willing to put me first before all things? What Jesus was getting at was the heart. You see, some of these wealthy individuals, they gave out of their surplus because they knew that people were watching. Amen. They knew that there were those on the sidelines going, look at what he just put in the offering. But this widow woman, this little poor widow woman, she comes in with her two coins. It's all I've got. I can't even buy three grapes. But I'm going to trust Jesus. I'm going I'm to give it to him. I know it doesn't make any sense. Most people around are probably going, what, what is she thinking? Why is she doing this? But we must remember he is Jehovah Jireh. That literally means he is God, our provider. We are simply the managers of the, the funnel which he uses to reach this world. As, we, as he places possessions in our, our hands, it's our responsibility to say, Lord, I trust you with this. God, I'm going to give this back to you, God. It doesn't make any sense why I'm doing this. But Lord, I know that I know that I know that my God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. I know that my God will step in on my behalf if I will just put him first, if I will just trust him, even when it doesn't make sense. It's Matthew chapter 6 that says this, wherever your treasure is, there your heart is also. You see, you can tell a lot about what really matters in your life by looking at your bank accounts. Come on, take a moment this afternoon, go home, open up your bank account, go online, most of you are online, or maybe you're old school, go to your checkbook, and for those of you that are under like 30, that's this little thing about this size <laughs> that we used to carry in our back pockets, and you would have to write who it's to and the amount, you would write the amount twice, one in numbers, and then one actually in words, and you'd sign the bottom of that thing. You put it in the mail, that's how it works, Luke. I won't rat you out and say the first time I had you write a church check at camp, you didn't fill it out correctly. It's okay. It's okay. So wherever you are in this process, go home today and look at your accounts 
And look at what you spend most of your money on. That's what matters in your life. That, that's really what's most important. But it was Winston Churchill that said it this way. We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. We make a living by what we get. That's the accumulation of stuff. I make a living. This is how I provide for my family. This is how I pay my mortgage payment. This is how I have my car. I make a living. I make this living by what I get, by accumulating more stuff. But truly, I make a life. I I leave a legacy by what I give. We talked about it last week, but God measures our generosity and giving not by the amount that we give, but by the love, the devotion, the trust, and the sacrifice that is represented in that gift. The heart behind what we do. Again, this principle of of stewardship, and do you remember what stewardship is? We defined it last week. Stewardship is simply being responsible and carefully managing something that doesn't belong to us. It's, it's saying, Lord, I, I understand that I don't own all of this money. I understand that I don't own this house. I understand that this car truly is not mine, Lord, but you have entrusted it to me. So, Lord, I'm going to do everything in my power. I'm going to do everything in my ability to carefully and responsibly steward my way through what you've put in my possession. Every single area of your life is applied to this idea of stewardship. Your time, how are you stewarding your time? Your family, your job, what's that balance look like? Your church, and yes, your your finances. Every area of your life has been entrusted to you by God. So here's the question that begs to be asked. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to manage what God has placed before you? This poor widow woman, she was willing to sacrifice it all. Now this is what I find interesting about this story. It states in our text that the rich gave out of their abundance. Now, the word abundance literally means their overflow, their surplus, an overflow, an amount of money. We could even say their leftovers. And I began processing through this scripture, and I wonder, are we guilty of giving God our leftovers? Are we guilty of of giving God just the remains? Lord, this is what I have left so you can have it. Or are we willing to give from the heart? Lord, it doesn't make sense. Lord, I can't wrap my brain around why I'm doing this, but Lord, I know, Lord, I know that you're calling me to leave a legacy. God, I know that you're calling me to do something that's, that's so much greater than who I am. 
It's leaving a legacy greater than self. It's leaving a legacy that will outlast the 70, 80, 90, even 100 years, if you're lucky, that you have here on earth. Our legacy is to invest in future generations and breed in a generation that follows and embraces the things of God. Now, do you remember last week we talked about the difference between leaving a legacy and being a legend? Man, a lot of us, we want to be a legend. The man, the myth, the legend, right? That's what we want. We want our tombstone to say, he was a legend. Come on. But truth be told, I'd so much rather leave a legacy than be a legend. Because when you leave a le- le- when you're a legend, people may remember what you did, but it's not long until they forget who you are. Man, when I first graduated college, I went back to my hometown. I began to teach in my alma mater. Man, I was a legend in that community. Big town, 3,704 people. I was a legend. Man, I'd go to the grocery store, IGA, or I'd go to town and country. We had two grocery stores and one stoplight, a blinking light. It was awesome. But I, I would go through town and everybody would be like, hey, I know Chris. I know who he is. Man, to my concerts when I was teaching, I'd have crowds of 1,100 people show up for a school event. Come on. I was a legend. I went back a few years ago. One of my former students is the teacher, the choir teacher now. And he called me and said, hey, will you come in and work with our students? We're getting ready to go to contests, and we'd like for you to work with them. So I went in, and I walked into the hallways fully expecting people to go, man, look who's back. I walked in the door, and the secretary in the office said, who are you? And I was like, she must be talking to somebody. I'm a legend. Man, when, when, you, when your goal in life is to be a legend, you're quickly forgotten. But when you leave a legacy, you're leading a, a group of people. You're leading a generation that will follow and continue with that passion and that heart to fulfill the calling that God has set in front of you. And I wonder, which is your goal? To leave a legacy or be a legend? Proverbs chapter 11 says it this way, the world of the generous gets larger and larger, but the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. That's legacy. That's what we're talking about in this series. For the next few moments, I want to look at three observations of leading a God-directed legacy. Number one is this, and please take very good notes this morning. Number one, giving that catches Jesus' eye begins in the hearts. Think back to our story. What caught Jesus' attention that day? Was it the wealthy people that came in with their big amounts of money? They open up their wallets and they're like, no, come on, it's raining money today, come on. Yo, that's not good enough, you want a card? Come on, I got a card for you. I'll give you my credit card. Here, you can have this too. That's not what caught his eye. But it was that poor widow woman that gave two small coins. That's what caught the attention of heaven. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she had 
to live on. Now, I look at this scripture, and I'm sure, I know it doesn't mention the word heart in it anywhere, but I believe that if you examine the text, it becomes very obvious that Jesus is looking at the hearts. Our heart is the foundation of who we are. Our heart is how we measure our generosity. Now, the contributions of the rich, man, on world standard, they were, they were gaining an A. They were knocking it out of the park. On world standard, this poor widow woman, and she would have had a failing grade. But Jesus saw her heart. She gave out of a place of sacrifice and surrender, a place of dependence and trust in God. Look what the Bible says in Psalm 139. The psalmist says, oh Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. In other words, it's already been done. You've already examined my heart. You've already done a once over, God. You know what's going on in my life. You know when I sit down. You know when I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I'm traveling and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it. God knows and God sees everything. God hears everything, even before it's done. Now, this can be difficult sometimes. We're going to discuss it in a few minutes, but obedience is not easy. Obedience requires that we engage our faith with action. This, this woman, I can imagine that morning... She gets up and she's going about her day. She said, I feel like I need to give God something, but this is all I got. It doesn't really make sense for me to give this. But I know the mighty things that God has done in my life, and I, I, I know that time and time again, God has been faithful. I know that in moments that I've been in need that he stepped in as my provider. I'm gonna give. I'm gonna give out of a place of obedience to God. It's putting our faith into action. Church, listen carefully. God is looking for men and women that are willing to be a part of something that is so much larger than themselves. A people whose hearts mirror who he truly is. Again, God is love. And he demonstrated that love by giving his one and only son. That's what catches the attention of heaven. Look at this scripture in Psalm 139. The psalmist here says, search me, O God. Now, what's the difference between the verses in chapter 139, verses 23 and 24, and 139, 1 through 4? 1 through 4, it's already been done. 1 through 4, it's, hey, God, you've already looked it over. Lord, you know when I do this. You know when I do that. You know when this happens. You know even when I have this thought. But now, he says, Lord, I give you permission. That's hard. It's one thing for God to already do it. It's another thing for us to say, Lord, come on, check me out. 
Lord, know what my thoughts are. Come on, look what it says. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Some of you, when you came in here, we began talking about stewardship. When we began talking about finances, you had a few anxious thoughts. All right? Just, just be honest. I mean, it's okay to be honest. You had, you had a couple anxious thoughts because you, you realize, man, I haven't, I haven't really given back to God, or I don't, I don't know, I don't know how I can give back to God. This is what I've got. This is, this is all I have, and I'm not sure what I can do with this. And anxiety began to rise up. Would you give that anxious thought to God? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. This is a difficult prayer to pray. Not so much in words. Words are easy, right? But the outcome and the follow-through, that's what's hard. Lord, search me and point out anything that offends you and, and lead me. In other words, Lord, I'm going to follow. I'm going to go where you want me to go. Would you give that to God today? Would you give that anxious thought to God today? Because it's a heart of giving that catches the attention of heaven. The second observation is this. Giving God's way doesn't make worldly sense. Anybody in the house, can you testify to that? Giving God's way doesn't make worldly sense. Look what it says in John chapter 12. Some of you will recognize a couple of people in this story. It says, six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus. Do you remember Lazarus? Come on, Lazarus is the one that was, that was dead in the grave that the Bible says, that King James says he stinketh. Do you remember this? And Jesus said, roll the stone away, and everybody's, ah, he stinketh. Lazarus, come out, and Lazarus comes hopping out. Mary and Martha, we're going to talk about in a moment. Martha was the one that was busy in the kitchen, and Mary was at his feet. Do you remember the story? A dinner was prepared for Jesus in his honor. Martha served, surprise, surprise, and Lazarus was among those that ate with him. Then Mary, listen to this, then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. That had to be nice. That sounds like a great word, nard. And she anointed Jesus' feet with it. She took this expensive 12-ounce jar of, of essence of nard, and she poured it upon Jesus' feet, wiping his feet with her hair. Oh, that's nice. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. What? It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. In the story, Jesus has made his way to Bethany, the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Again, Lazarus was the guy that was in the tomb. He was dead. Jesus raised him from the grave. Now, Lazarus' sister, Mary, was very fond of Jesus and did what some would say was irrational. Now, 
let me back up. It was customary in that day that when a guest came into your house, that a servant would wash your feet. Why? Because you walked around in sandals, you traveled everywhere by foot, dirty, dusty roads. You may have bathed in the morning, but after your travels, your feet were covered in all sorts of nastiness, right? So here they come in, um, Jesus is there, and Mary says, you know what, I'm going to wash your feet. So she takes this jar of expensive perfume, the essence of nard, and she pours it upon his feet, wipes his feet with it, and then she's like, whoa, I have nothing to dry his feet with. So she lets her hair down, and she wipes his feet with her hair. How many of you ladies that have long hair. How many of you are thinking, man, that sounds like a good time? No? No, no takers on that. Okay. What a mess. However, that was Mary's way of expressing worship and adoration to Jesus. You see, when you love Jesus and express your faith to him, you will do it in actions that those around you may not understand. That may include giving in a way that you never expected to give. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 says it this way, those who love money will never have enough. However, how meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. For Mary in that moment, happiness was found in anointing the feet of Jesus with his expensive year wages bottle of nard and wiping it with her hair. Now Judas, the one that will later betray Jesus, he burst out and says, how absurd that perfume could have been sold and the money given to the poor. There may be people in your life that as you begin to give to God, as you begin to trust God and you give to a legacy fund, they may say, you know what, that doesn't really make sense. Why? Because their focus was misdirected. They fail to display the heart of God. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to dissect this scripture in about three Sundays from now. It says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. People may not understand why you give back to God simply because they don't have the heart of God. Let's go to our third observation. Giving with obedience will require a step of faith. What was point number one? Giving that catches Jesus' eye begins with the heart. Number two, giving God's way doesn't make worldly sense. And number three, giving with obedience will require a step of faith. Now, by nature, man is basically self-centered. Before you women start cheering, I was using the man in the King James sense. People, by nature, are self-centered. From the very beginning of time, your baby, the moment it begins to talk, what's it say? No, mine, right? And they probably learned that from mom and dad. 
Because why? We by nature are very self-centered. We have a tendency of thinking, what's in this for me? So periodically we need a perspective change. We have to look at our motives, our values. Find out, are we really living our life with the purpose of leaving a legacy greater than self? Deuteronomy chapter 14 says it this way. The purpose of tithing, and I'm going to explain that word in a moment. The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. Now, the word tithe literally means 10%. In other words, giving God the first 10% that you make. I've had people say, well, pastor, do I, do I give before taxes or after taxes? Do I, do I, do I tithe that to the gross or off the net? It depends on if you want a gross blessing or a net blessing from God. Your choice. Some of you will get that later. But this is before taxes. It's before your car payment. It's before your Ozark coffee. Before anything else, it's saying, Lord, I trust you. But some of you today are saying, God, are you really sure that you need my 10% more than I need it? And I think if God was sitting here in person, he would say to us, you've missed the whole point. I don't need your money. It's not your money that I truly want. It's what your money represents. Your money represents your heart. That's what I want. Someone once said it this way. The basic question is not how much of our money will we give to God, but how much of God's money should we keep? I want to take a moment. I want to explain a a small change that you're going to see transpire over the next couple of weeks. Our offering envelope, our tithe offering envelope right now, it has several lines on it. It has tithe. It has building fund. I think camp is on there. There's about four different things that are written in, then several blanks. And and you go in and you write all of these things in and you you give. We're going to make a change and we're going to create what we call the legacy fund. And the legacy fund is going to be one account that covers our tithe. It covers missions. It covers building. It covers future campuses. It covers camp. It covers everything. Everything goes into this legacy fund. Now, if you so desire to give to a specific uh, department or whatever, you can feel free to write that in. There's four or five blanks on this new offering envelope. One, two, three blanks. But there's one that says legacy. Why are we doing this? Because we want to change the mindset. Sometimes we feel obligated. I've I've got to give this. I've got to give that. I've got to be a part of this. But truth be told, you don't have to. You, You get to. God, I get to leave a legacy. God, I get to be a part of missions of reaching and supporting a missionary that will then travel around the world into remote tribes or to those that are so far from God. I get to be a part of launching a campus, leaving a legacy of starting a church in a community that didn't have an Assemblies of God church or had a struggling church that needed supports. I get to be a part of something so large, so much larger than myself of supporting a student and sending a student to camp this year. 
of leaving a legacy. We'll give to the legacy fund and we'll say, God, I'm going to partner with the church as the church partners with you as we leave a legacy that's greater than ourselves. I'm going to talk more about this next week and the week after, explaining it in more detail. But let me ask this question. Why should we give? Should we give out of guilt? I mean, we've all seen the commercials, the sad little puppy dogs with the sad music. Man, those commercials get done and we're like, okay, I'll get my buddy, right? We're we're sad. We we, we feel this connection and we want to, no, we don't give out of guilt. Do we give out of pressure? No. We don't give because of sob stories. We give because God is trusting us to leave a legacy. God's trusting us to to be that funnel that, that he flows through that we can reach outside these walls. We give because he's a source of it all and we're just the managers. I'm gonna challenge you as we go through this legacy series, as we go through this Money Matters series, would you begin to pray on your own time during the week If you're married, get together with your spouse. Begin to pray. Maybe you've never given before. Maybe you've you've given periodically. Maybe you're giving consistently. But God, what would you have us to do? What does a legacy look like? In a few weeks, I'm going to challenge you on that. But I want, you to, I want you to pray and be prepared. I want you to say, God, not because something Pastor Chris is saying. And by the way, take these scriptures and go this week and read through the word of God and make sure all this lines up. But don't decide to give because of something that I say. Decide to give because of God speaking to your heart. Amen? And would you pray with me today? Thank you again for listening to the Encounter Church podcast. We pray that this message was a blessing and an encouragement to your life.